0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, the urban legend about Marissa Tomei winning the Oscar. Sue says Bali was magical, but I'm not sure if her stories are very good for the tourism business there. And actor John Grise joins us. He's one of the stars of the hit HBO series, The White Lotus. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Sue, moments before we began recording, you yelled at Tucker. Is yes, that like I a, did. What's that? Yes, I did. Yes, you really? Now, is that a, a command that you learned in dog training, or is that something else?
1: Uh, it's a little something that I came up with by myself, that sometimes when he's barking, uh profusely I yep. tell him to shut the fuck up
0: <laughs> oh god that was so funny that was so funny. <laughs> well you know
1: it's so it's so annoying because someone came to the door yep and it was neighbors <laughs> of mine god. and um you know we have one of these little peepholes you know it's like yeah a wizard sure of you oz, look right? see who's there well it's not a peephole. it's like a little door that opens up it's kind of like the wizard of oz you know oh okay Got and it. uh I was like, uh, oh, hi. And I, and, and we were going to uh, get, we were going to start the podcast. And I said, Hey, you know what? The dog is going crazy. Um, I, I can't talk to you right now. And so Tom was like, Oh, well, I'll come out and, and talk with them. Usually when you shut the front door yep. and you're out, you know, like on, you know, by the street, he shuts up, but for some reason he just went completely crazy. So I had to
0: yeah, put him in line. I had to put him in line. So uh, and we had a great guest coming up, uh, John Grice, who is uh, one of the stars of White Lotus, which is fantastic. Um, in the meantime, I wanted to mention, we, we love Seinfeld. We've had people, uh, you know, uh, Peter Melman and people from Seinfeld over the years. Uh, Marissa Tomei came out and said this. Um, one of the reasons why she got her character in Seinfeld was because Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld liked the way her name sounded. Marissa Tomei. Marissa <laughs> Tomei. They thought it had a really good rhythm to it. Uh, and it sounds very it sounds like an episode of Curb. I like the way your your name rolls off my my tongue. <laughs> um so one of the things I wanted to mention we talked about this one time in New York and we got interesting calls about it. Marissa Tomei won the Academy Award for My Cousin Vinny. This is an urban legend that I used to believe and I don't believe anymore. So the the legend goes like this that when she was nominated for My Cousin Vinny, nobody really thought she was going to win. And when Jack Palance, or yeah, Palance, opened Mm -hmm. the envelope, um, that he somehow read the wrong name that the Oscar was supposed to go to Vanessa Redgrave, and instead he read Marissa Tomei's name, and that afterwards, uh, when they told Vanessa Redgrave what happened, she said, oh, my dear boy, I already have one of those. Now, I think that's a totally (laughs) fake story, but it's a really good one.
1: So you don't believe that she actually said that?
0: I don't believe that Marissa Tomei, I believe Marissa Tomei did legitimately win the Oscar. I don't think it was going to go to Vanessa Redgrave. Okay.
1: Oh, cause I, I, I was wondering if you thought that, uh, Vanessa Redgrave's, uh, response was, Oh, it's okay. I already have one of those. You think that she didn't say that?
0: Correct. I think Marissa Tomei won outright. She was the winner. And by the way, the most memorable performance from that cat. I mean, uh, if you named those five movies, Marissa Tomei's performance is the one that has stood the test of time. I think she won it legit. And the rest of it is just urban legend. But I've always been fascinated by that idea that somebody and we found out later, like, for example, when La La Land and Moonlight.
1: Moonlighting. Yeah. Moonlight. Yeah.
0: yeah. When those two, when that thing happened, when Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway fucked that up, Right. Uh, they they corrected it right away because I think they called La La Land and it was actually Moonlight. Moonlight. Um, and they messed up, so they corrected. I think they would have corrected it.
1: Yes, because that would have been a really really bad situation.
0: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So
1: you know, people start these things. Like I wonder who decided um, let's let's put that out there that that she really didn't win. Like, like, I don't, I don't know who, who was the person who, who started it. Yeah,
0: who knows? But why? Yeah, it's a good question. Why? I, I think it was because it was a comedic performance, and people thought, well, comedic performances aren't as serious as, you know, in terms of acting as. And, and the reality is, like I said, stood the, stood the test of time. There's one more thing I want to ask you about. So, uh, Magic Johnson. I mm-hmm. uh, did an interview on Shannon Sharp's podcast. Do you know who Shannon Sharp is? I sure do. Okay, so uh, he went on his podcast, and Magic says that he takes one month a year, one consecutive month a year, and goes on vacation somewhere exotic, and then his wife Cookie picks all the guests uh, for the <laughs> for the vacation. Which I which I think is a really cool idea. Great. I would do anything. For four, I don't want to leave my job. I love ESPN, but I would do anything for four consecutive weeks of vacation to travel. Because otherwise, you know, I get a week and you you try to go somewhere and you're not there long enough and you can't see. Like a couple of years ago, I had a two week vacation and Mm -hmm. I went to Croatia and Budapest Mm -hmm. and it was a fantastic trip. But it's mm-hmm. hard to come by. I almost want want like college professors have, like a sabbatical to go right. explore the world. What's now? What's the longest vacation you've ever been on?
1: Um, well, I haven't worked in two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's it, huh? Um, the like uh, the, an actual vacation that I that I really just went on vacation. Yes, I would say um, I think like two and a half weeks.
0: Yeah, where'd you go? I went to
1: went to Bali, uh, many years ago.
0: Yeah, I heard Bali's uh, really cool. What's it like?
1: Oh, it's magical. Yeah, it's really magical. Yet, so I went (laughs) Uh with, so I went with Kenny. Right? I did a USO tour in Guam, and I used to
0: own movie theaters on an island called Saipan, very Uh close to Guam.
1: Okay, so I had been in Guam. Years before, just for like a regular gig at a Hilton hotel. Yep. And I had befriended this guy. I remember his name is James Gamindy. He was uh, a Guam, Guamanian or Guamese, whatever th- that you call them. I think it's Guamanian. I think so, it's just
0: from Guam.
1: From Guam. <laughs> and uh, he was kind of like the self-proclaimed mayor, you know? Yes. He uh, he came to the Hilton and he met me. It was with Lenny Clark, the comedian yeah, actor. Yeah, and, um. And he just took us around. And so, um, he kept on saying, uh, when you come back, you have to go to Bali because Guam is not that far. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I don't, when's the next time I'm going to be in Guam? Right. Well, turns out two years later, I get a USO tour there and, uh, Kenny met me there. And then we took off and went to Bali. So. We're having a really great time. It's like the most, um, I, I guess, would you say serene in some ways. You yeah. know, we went to like, whether just like a Buddhist monastery, and um, uh, you know, the everything about it was just cool. Like there's magical. A, ar- the, magical. There was an artist. Uh, there's an artist uh, town called Ubud, and uh, we met this like. Really gorgeous ex model. This guy, he was from Texas and he just like quit modeling, moved to Bali. Wow. Uh, be- became a jewelry maker, married a Balinese woman, took us to his like amazing house, like up in the, like in the mountains somewhere. Um, everywhere we went was great. So we thought Bali was the greatest, greatest place we had ever been. Yeah. So we get to this beach village and we meet this couple. Who the guy was from Sri Lanka and his wife and his girlfriend I guess he was real real dark right. um uh kind of looked like a I don't know like a like a god or something yeah okay. long dark hair and she was like she was like um like uh porcelain white skin she kind of looked albino so the contrast to <laughs> the two of them was really? just so crazy so anyway yeah. so we told them you know that we really loved it and they had just come back from Sri Lanka and they and they said to us that they weren't really crazy about Bali because they had been to Sri Lanka and, and Kenny and I just kind of look at each other
0: and like, like Sri Lanka is nicer than Bali better better yeah than Bali. really
1: and we were so bummed out that they said that because they kind of were like kind of dissing Bali you know <laughs> <laughs> and we were like Fuck you. You know, we love it here. We're having a great time. But they I guess they said that um and I and I didn't think Bali was really commercialized or anything. I mean the right. places we went to were real indigenous towns and stuff. Sure. Um and uh they just thought that it was kind of pedestrian <laughs> compared to Sri Lanka. And uh, we were like, well, whatever, you know, whatever, but we were whatever. pissed off. But it's, you know, it's amazing. It's, 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 it's gorgeous. Yeah. The food is incredible.
0: Like what kind and, of food? Fish?
1: Well, fish. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Asian fare. I mean, it, it's not that far off from kind of like Thai food in a way, oh, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's delicious. And it was so inexpensive. I mean, we, we went a long time ago, but we, we, you could have a, a lunch dish for like a dollar fifty. No really And great food and the hotel we stayed in, we stayed in this hotel. it was like twenty dollars a night and it was amazing and then five dollars more for hot water. and it was gorgeous. I mean it wow. wasn't it wasn't like a you know a motel six. I mean it was just a beautiful beautiful hotel. The people were great and friendly. Um, I I highly recommend it. Have it's you been really to Thailand?
0: Cool. I've never been to Thailand. Oh, God, that's like my favorite trip was Thailand. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's amazing. You, uh, the best massage I ever got was on the beach in Thailand uh, at uh, Koh Samui, the island Koh Samui. Mm-hmm. Twenty bucks,
1: unbelievable
0: yes. massage. Twenty bucks.
1: Well, that's, that's kind of like Bali. Well, I'll tell you a story. So when we went to this beach village, we were there for Christmas and New Year's. And we had befriended this family that, um, that lived like very close to where our hotel was. So we were mm-hmm. always kind of in that area every day by the beach. And there was a Balinese woman. She was, you know, kind of stout. Um, and she kept on coming over and, uh, soliciting to give massages. Mm-hmm. And I definitely wanted to get one. But what happened was like the next day I stayed out in the sun too long. Maybe I didn't have sunscreen on. I don't know. And I got sunburned so bad. Mm. And this is like a, it's like a curb your enthusiasm. So the next, and I kept on saying, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I, and I said, I'm not just yesing you. I'm going to do it. But then I got sunburnt and n- nobody can touch me. Right. Right. So she came over and uh, she's like, you know, massage. And I said, you know, I really can't do it. And she turned on me.
0: Oh, she, really? She
1: like hated me, right? And here I am on vacation, and this woman hates me. You because know, you won't
0: get a massage because you're sunburned.
1: Yeah, because I told her I would, and then I said I couldn't because I was. In sunburned. fairness,
0: I think you probably owed her the money.
1: <laughs> it's probably, probably, it's like I know it was like five dollars. I probably should have just given her the you money. Scheduled
0: yes. the massage, right? I
1: didn't. No, I never scheduled it. I said to her, "Yeah, I'll, we'll do it tomorrow, and then like we'll do it tomorrow." Is that not scheduling?
0: Not really. We'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, maybe no. in
1: Bali it is. I'm on the um, woman's
0: side. I'm on the
1: woman's uh, side. Of course, you are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she hated me, and then we spent um, we spent Christmas Eve with them, and there's a ritual for Christmas Eve that they go out and they kill a pig. Really? And yeah, and they asked us if we wanted to go. And we're like, Happy no, New
0: Year, here's a dead like, pig. No.
1: Yeah, I was like, No, we're not interested. You get the pig. You know, when I was <laughs> eating meat at that time, I said, Yeah, you guys go get the pig. We'll we don't really chance. want to be involved in the killing of the pig. Yeah. And then they have it on a spit and it's just like, like an apple in its mouth. And I am like, uh, oh. so I'm not like a, a huge drinker, but when in Bali, I'm drinking the indigenous drink, and it's Iraq, which is their their um their liqueur you know it's like their country liqueur and it tastes kind of like ouzo and then they combine it with beer and orange Fanta oh that sounds horrible oh horrible but together it actually tasted okay and I drink way too much and ate pig and I think some of it (laughs) wasn't cooked properly I got and I think I think she put a hex on me, I because she was there, she was
0: part of the Can I dinner. I just tell you, after <laughs> hearing all this, I don't want to go to Bali Bali anymore. No, so, like, no, so I don't want to go. So,
1: so I think she put a hex on me. Yeah. And I got deathly ill for three days, and I could see, I, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. There were a couple of times I looked over, and she was totally giving me the evil
0: eye. <laughs> so this is the place you describe as magical. Well, it It sounds like you had a really shitty time. No, I I I didn't have a shitty time.
1: I just got sick those three days, and it was my fault. It was my fault. All right. But it was really beautiful.
0: Well, anything, if my bosses happen to be listening, uh, four weeks in a row, what I wouldn't give. What I wouldn't give. All right. Our guest today is an actor, writer, and director. You've seen him in films like Napoleon Dynamite. He plays Uncle Rico. Who doesn't love Uncle Rico? Uh, The the famous line, you know the famous line, Sue, right? Uh, You'll have to refresh my memory. How much you want to bet I can throw a football over them mountains? That's what (laughs) Uncle Rico said in Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, He's also done movies like September Dawn. He did Taken, Taken 2, Taken 3 on TV. He has co-starred on shows like Lost and Martin and Seinfeld. His current project is the Emmy award-winning HBO series White Lotus, season two, just underway. John Grise is with us. John, thanks so much for doing this. Happy to be here. This is exciting. So, uh, yeah, I I should point out that we're on Zoom and you've got a bird on your shoulder. This is a parrot, I'm assuming. Does the parrot have a name?
2: Pablo. He's Pablo the parrot. He's my uh, sidekick. So how far back do you and Pablo go? Well, I adopted Pablo about um, actually this, uh, I guess, October was year three. So he's eight now. He's eight years old. I got him when he was five.
1: So I want to know, I've been told that uh, certain parrots live a very, very long time. Like I had a friend that had a parrot and I think his parrot was like 60 when I met his parrot. Right. And I was joking with him saying that, you know, sometimes the parrot could outlove, outlive the owner.
2: Absolutely. And that will happen in this case. No, 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 no. Oh, no, I'm, no, sure. I'm telling. You, no, seriously. He he's only eight. He's a little boy. He he's like a little kid. I've already had to make arrangements.
1: Yes, that's what
2: I was. Because there's no way. I'm, you know, he they in the wild, these guys live 75 years. Wow. In captivity, like 40 years. So that's crazy. You know. So and he's really healthy, thankfully, and he's a he's a he's a great he's a great dude, great little companion. But you know it's hard when I go away. Like when I was in Sicily doing White Lotus, I mean I was gone for three and a half months. It's difficult, but I have a really good, caring friend who also is a, is great with birds, and she sat with the bird the whole time. Stay there oh, with. That's me. great. That's great. So you have
1: a bird. You have a bird sitter.
2: I do. I do, and I and I take. I make. I compensate her handsomely <laughs> because it's it's and not that she really even asks for it, but. I say to her, "I need to know. I need to have that comfort that he's getting, you know, the twenty-four-seven attention. So, you know, because he's never locked in a cage. He he just ha- he lives on top of his cage. Oh wow! Where I built an aviary in the back. I mean, he he wanders around the house if he wants to. You know, the cats are afraid of him. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So
1: so I wanted. To, I just want to know just real quick, and then we'll get off the bird thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. How did you come to have a parrot as a pet? I mean, we, we as a little boy. I mean, where did this come into your life?
2: Actually, an ex-girlfriend. Uh, I dated a girl, and she now is my friend who takes care of him. And she has agreed to take him when when I kick the bucket. But but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, she had the same exact breed of parrot. It's an Eclectus parrot. They're very special. But I would always uh, advise people whenever they say, oh, a parrot, we want a parrot. I'm, no, you don't understand. It's, it's like having a little child. They're, they're not like a dog who, go, you know, keep itself busy in the other room. In fact, if you ignore them too much, then they become ornery and they become kind of mean. And he's, um, he's one of the sweetest parrots I've ever met. Yeah, but he that's gets nice. A lot of attention.
1: So I, 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 I lied. I have one other thing. Oh, one, uh, okay. one more
2: bird question. Okay. Okay.
1: So years ago I was uh, talking with a writer friend of mine and, and we were joking that, um, you know, because the parrot, you know, you, you know, like <laughs> saying that the parrot ends up going to your funeral because they live so much longer. Right. But I was saying like, what would happen? Cause there are, there are actually a lot of animals, not just parrots. There are other animals that, actually live pretty long. And mm-hmm. what happens when they lose their owners? And we said, well, maybe there's like an assisted living facility for pets who have lost their owners. <laughs> and they that all works. live in, a, in this assisted living facility.
2: Well, no, truthfully, you know, it's a, really astute because I, my friend, my ex-girlfriend, but now my very dear friend, you know, one of the reasons that I have her taking him when I'm gone, because I go away a lot, is that there it, it you know if something ever were to happen or you know if I don't live a full uh the full length of a life you know the transition won't be as difficult because I imagine it would be otherwise it would be probably really hard he's very yeah. attached to me you know hmm. he loves her too oh that's
0: nice that's nice well this is the fir- it's the first time we've ever had a guest that that brought their
2: parrot with them so. He'd be screaming in the other room if he heard me talking. Like Notable please. for that reason. Doing without <laughs> me, you know. So, so uh, we love White Lotus,
0: um, and it is such a funny, weird, twisted kind of show. And you play the terminally ill husband of Tanya, who is played by the legendary—and I mean legendary—Jennifer Coolidge.
2: What? What's it like doing? Most of your scenes with with are with her. What's it like doing scenes with her? Pretty much all my scenes have throughout both season one and season two are pretty much all of them are with her. Um, listen, you know, she shines, she, you know, the, she's an alchemist. There's like gold flying off of her. You know, anybody in her, in her orbit is going to, is going to, is going to shine a little bit. And I'm so thankful to be part of it. Uh, I love working with her. It's, we, we, we get along very well and we, we, Find ways to surprise each other. We we try and you know have just a friendly little um, kind of tacit agreement that um, that yes, what we do is rehearsed, but what what we end up doing is not necessarily the same. It's just something that builds on top of it. Once in a while, I you know in this case, she's really the one who takes the lead uh, in this because I I um you know, my character's criteria is not necessarily as open as hers. And so there's a, there's a bit of a mystery about, about Greg. And so, so, you know, I, 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 I have to kind of follow her lead and that, and I'm talking purely in improvisational because, you know, Mike White writes such amazing scripts. You don't (laughs) really have to, there's no need to improv. It's just if we feel like we've gotten a take and we feel like, having a little moment, an extra moment, something, you know, looking for just that possible magic. And it's usually Jennifer who, who supplies it, you know?
1: So Mike White is um, from what I gather, I've never met him, but I've seen him on talk shows. And I, I mean, I just marvel at him and he did the amazing race with his father. I mean, he's such a twice, he's such right? a kid. Yeah, twice. Right. He's such a character. What is it like on set with Mike
2: White? Well. You know, it's so uh, he's so real. I mean, you know, like you, you know, you hear people say this about people, but really, I don't think Mike White has has a a, a false bone in his body. You know, there's just there's just some people who don't know how to do anything but be as honest and as straightforward as as can be, and he is one of those people. And so, it's a great comfort because. You know, as an actor, you 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 know sometimes you question certain things that you do, or you you have you might have a doubt, or you think of choice you've made might not be right. And I will say that, you know, Mike, he's always open to the idea of like, well, really, Look, what do you think? And then we'll talk about it. But well, yeah, try that, and let's just see. And then then if, if you know, he's kind of writes on the fly too. You know, as beautifully as these scripts are crafted, he he might as we're going along, he, you know, he's, I don't think he ever stops writing. So he's always like saying, Hey, you know, he'll scream off camera. I say this, say this, say it like this, say that, you know? And so, and you trust him implicitly, you know, there's just no, no question. And I think that really uh, besides the talent in the writing, uh, you know, he's like kind of like, uh, you know, like, like a modern day, I don't know, Tennessee Williams is almost too dour and too dramatic, but it's like, but he, he just has such a beautiful sardonic mm-hmm. style, uh, that, uh, I, I, it's really hard to pinpoint, but he does, he does constantly write. And, and, um, but, and because of his honesty and because of his craft, you really trust him implicitly. So.
0: You know, I, I have a little bit of an on and off mode. Like a lot of people have an on and off mode, you know, uh, I work for ESPN and I'm a really like high version of myself. Uh, I'm more natural here (laughs) with a lot of
2: coffee or whatever, right? Exactly. With a lot of
0: coffee and a couple of gummies and all that kind of stuff. So, so, but does Jennifer Coolidge have an on and off or is she, is that
2: Jennifer Coolidge? That's Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, she, she, um, you know, she's always she's she's always having a good time in the sense that she she uh, she'll sometimes take a moment and think about things and then she'll come out with something. I mean, I'm talking just at dinner time, just come out with the most <laughs> random <laughs> observations, you know, that just basically tear everybody that just tears everybody apart at the table, you know. And then she's not like doing it to be funny because she is really making an observation and then she'll laugh with it because it's like, isn't that a funny idea? I mean, but not, not, it's not like egocentric at all. It's almost as if she's just heard it herself too, but it, yes, it came out of your mouth as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of see her and Mike White as in, in some ways two peas in a pod because, you know, he's, he's got, you know, he's real offbeat and the dialogue, I mean, it's, it's current. It's 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 kind of like things that that I think, like especially Steve and I would be thinking about. Like you know, no. you know, what they were talking about. You know, uh, the, the the two the two couples were talking about. You know, Ted Lasso was like, oh, you wa- Oh yeah, we watched Ted Lasso. Oh, oh Ted Lasso. Oh, he's so nice, you know. <laughs> right. um, and then just the idea of like you know the voting thing, and it's like, didn't I vote? I don't know. I, yeah, I think I voted. Did right. I? I don't right. think you voted. And then the other couple just mortified that. People like would not have voted. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just. I, I think in in so many ways, it's situations that are kind of familiar in a way.
2: Absolutely familiar, and I think that, and 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 so of the time, and yet at the same time, whether or not he's m- making judgment, or you know, it, and 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 never delves too deeply in the subject as if to be didactic or anything like that. He's just mm-hmm. kind of. He's just kind of throwing it out there, so that you're like, oh yeah, that's that that is us, isn't it? You know, we're we're a little bit like that. Some people, and some uh, uh, on the other side. You know, it's interesting. So in episode
0: one, that's the only episode we've seen so far is episode one. You've got this wild scene uh, in bed with mm-hmm. Jennifer Coolidge, and <laughs> she's she's got some dialogue in there that I was it. I mean, at one point she says. I'm seeing men with effeminate <laughs> haircuts, and gay you have hair. shark eyes. And
2: yeah. that, was that written, or is that of No, no, that's 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 the dialogue. That's the dialogue. Uh, yeah, no, and 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 you know they had gay hair. I think is what she said.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, like, you know. I mean, there's a whole, uh, there. It, it's you know some of the some of the press I think have seen about five episodes. I, they wouldn't HBO wouldn't let them see the last two episodes because because the the, the turn in the last two is is significant. You know, hmm. it really builds up to to quite a, a surprise. But um, but you know, shooting that scene must have been crazy, right? Well, yes, it was crazy. First off, I'm not really you know, I'm a character actor. I don't often do love scenes. I don't think I've maybe, maybe I've done one when I was in my twenties, you know? Um, so, you know, and then the fact is, is that we arrived in Sicily and then the, that they started shooting two days before we did that scene. So it was our first scene up was us in bed. Together. Oh, wow. Wow. So, <laughs> it was just like, the 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 elephant in the room was just both of us thinking oh how are we going to do this <laughs> how is this going to happen <laughs> you know and and you know there was no discussion about it i mean i you know we arrived on set and pretty much it was like okay well this is what we're thinking and it was pretty much as it was written you know uh, it, it's it's pretty much described physically in the text and there's a you know there's a um, a a um, uh, what do they call them? You know, like a, an intimacy coordinator that comes. Oh, right. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, make sure that, you know, n- nobody's offended or an- nobody's feeling too uncomfortable or whatever, you know, they, they, they keep everything in line, but, um, but, you know, it is what it is. It's like the first, first thing you're acting, you know, I, I can only say that it, it, it I, there were a couple of un- uh, sleepless nights, probably for both of us coming up to that scene. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what in the beginning of the season? uh, How far into the season do you know what's going to happen to your character
2: or to in the show? Oh, you mean when, 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 when the scripts come out? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, an interesting thing. uh, When Mike, you know, basically what had happened was he, he had texted me and said, "I hope you're leaving." You know, spring and possibly into summer open because I'm writing this. This you're going to be in the second season. That was the way I found out that he called. Mm. You know that he texted me, and I was like, uh, anytime, anywhere, I'll be there. And he says, okay, it's going to probably be in May in Sicily. Well, it ended up being February, but um, you know, uh, it, it it was. Um, he texted me the episodes. And then I guess nobody had read it seven yet. And he sent me seven. Mm. He was like, for your eyes only, what do you think? And I read it, you know, which I took as an honor. You know, the fact is, is like, you know, I'm not like going out to dinner and chummy chummy. I mean, we do, we hang out, we all hang out, but I'm like, like, I don't call Mike and say, Hey, let's go out and, you know, go to dinner. Um, you know, Jennifer and I are that way and, and most of the other cast, but, um, but I was very honored that he sent me the the script. And, um, you know, it was like, what do you think? And I was like, all I could write was, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's you know? a great
0: tease. That's a great yeah. tease. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I walk away from. And I, so I, I'm West Los Angeles. I do uh, very well, but live a humble life. Sue does really well, lives a humble life. The one thing that comes out of the White Lotus more than anything else for me is that super rich people are really, really obnoxious, right? I think
2: so. I mean, you know, well, you know, here's a little story when we were in in Maui shooting the first one and we were in the White in the Four Seasons Resort on Maui, and it was closed to us only. And then they told us, "Oh, in November." And this was obviously, if you remember, really during COVID. And they said, "We're opening November twentieth for people to come because of the San- Thanksgiving weekend. We don't expect a lot of people." And I remember sitting there with Jennifer, going, "Wow, people are just going to jump on an airplane and get out here. You know, they got to go through all that stuff." And there's, and she's like, Chan these people aren't flying commercial. They're flying <laughs> private. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm, like, I, I'm behind the times. Like, you know, I, I remember the day when rich people flew with everybody, you know? Oh yeah. The regular folks. Yeah, exactly. Right, right,
0: right, right. This The civilians. So I, you know, I, one thing I, I, you, first of all, you've got a fascinating career and your dad um, yeah. was a writer and director and producer. And I was reading about him and he worked with people like Burt Reynolds and Jason Robards and Tim yeah. Brown and Raquel Welch. And you actually were cast in, in a movie, uh, with Charlton Heston yes. uh, that your dad, I think he directed,
2: right? He wrote and directed it. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you remember of that you were 11 years old? What do you remember? Of that? Oh, no, I was I was actually nine, nine. That, that, that's a, that's a misprint. I, I know that I think it was IMDB or somebody that says I was 11. No, I was nine. Um, my father did not want me in in that that at (laughs) all. Uh, I, I had knocked my tooth out, uh, playing basketball just before we moved out to LA from New York. And, um, I had to get a fake tooth and we were living by the beach and, and my mom said, you know, you got to take John because there's four boys in the family. You got to take John to the dentist. And he was like, look, I'm going to Paramount. If I'm taking him to the dentist, he's coming to Paramount with me and that's how it happened. I mean, I just I went with him and then I just, you know, was bothering him cuz he was trying to get a, a draft written and he just said, "Look, I can't talk to you." You know, in a way I was very excited to be the only cuz four boys, I was the only one, you know, getting to be with my father alone. He was always pretty busy and so but you know, he kind of excommunicated me out of the office into the the bonanza street on at paramount studios hmm. go play on the western street there's nobody there and so i wandered out as i was going out the doors the producers were coming in and they kind of looked at me and said are you here with tommy and i was like yeah and then they pulled me into their office thinking that i was one of the kids reading for the part and then of course they figured out pretty quickly that i was his son but they just sat there and talked to me for a long time i had no idea what the, you know we were just they were laughing a lot a lot that's all i remember and then they just called my father in and said, we've got the kid, you know, my father came in and he looked at me and he was like, oh God, no, 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 he's not an actor. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like, if I ever wrote a book about myself, that, that's what it would say. He's not an actor. He's an idiot. But, but he, you know, he meant that in a very affectionate way. No, he's just a kid. You know, he's not an actor. And, but they convinced him to screen test me and that's how it happened.
1: So, were you bitten with the acting bug after that? Did you continue as a child actor?
2: No, I in fact, I turned down the Cowboys with John Wayne, I turned down the Reavers with Steve McQueen, I turned down everything that came my way because I just wanted to be one of the boys in the family. I didn't want to be singled out, I didn't want to be special, I didn't want to get treated any, you know, I was. You know the the four boys that you know the obviously the hierarchy from age, and I was the youngest. But I wanted to have it be as democratic as always was. I didn't want to be getting special treatment. It made me uncomfortable. You know.
1: You know it. Yeah. It's in, you know it's interesting to say that because I'm the youngest of five, and my sister is three years older than me. And when I was a little kid. I, I was in, I did impressions when I was really little. So I did like, you know, John Kennedy and like right. um, Ed Sullivan, you know, whatever. And, you know, my, my parents, all their friends were like, oh God, you gotta do something with her. And my mother put me in acting class and she started to see that my sister was kind of regressing because right. I was getting so much attention. And she just said, you know what? You'll do it when you're older. I'm not doing this now.
2: So Good for her, that's a yeah. really, really yeah. observant and intuitive because I, I'm, I feel really lucky that I didn't continue doing it at that age. Uh, I came upon it later. I just decided later. I just, I, I was, I know I was dating a girl and she was a model and we met in high school. And I remember walking onto the set while she was doing a commercial. And I was like, man, this I know this, I've been around this, I could probably do this. And then I decided to study acting and then the rest is pretty much history. I just went to study with Stella Adler and worked as a busboy in New York, lived out of a suitcase. Hmm. And it's a good thing. I was living the hard life and saying, I don't need help from anybody because in my, when I was 19, my father passed away suddenly. And then, and then I really was on my own. So I was, it was as if I was preparing for something that I didn't realize I was preparing for. Hmm. So probably, your
0: most famous role at least in my world mm-hmm. is uncle rico of course, yeah napoleon dynamite how much you want to bet i can throw this football over them, over mountains. them mountains. yeah <laughs> does that first of all when you saw that project and saw that script did you see that it was something special
2: oh yeah it must have read weird didn't it 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 it, it actually you know It's a weird little story, but I had quit acting. I had done a show called The Pretender for four years on, on NBC and and I wanted to write like this film that I had in my mind. And I, you know, I'm a very slow writer and I I just thought I'm not I'm just gonna stop, you know, like figuring trying to knock on doors and get acting jobs. I'm just gonna call my agent and I'm gonna pack it in. And I did. And then I was writing and then a casting director called me long story short. He was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. I had an actor drop out of a movie, come do this movie. And I did a film called the big empty. And then um, he was casting Napoleon dynamite and they happened to borrow the office where they were cutting the big empty. And he said, I just want to show you this guy's scenes. And he showed my scenes from the big empty and they made an offer. And the guy that, you know, kind of, elbowed his way into saying, let me just see if I can manage you. I was like his one client, he had an apartment, you know, he was working out of his apartment and he called me. He's like, you don't want to work with these people. They don't, who are they? We don't even know who they are. I mean, they're kids from Utah or whatever. And I said, send me the script. And i telling you by page 15, I was laughing out loud. And I was like, <laughs> This is amazing. It had an immediate, immediately the voice was so clear in the script. It's a beautifully crafted screenplay again. And Jared Hess and Jerusha Hess, husband and wife wrote this film together and they did. It's just, it really, it's, it's like flawless. I I feel so fortunate to have worked in some flawless material. And of course, Jared Hess and Mike White are like best buddies, you know, Mm. but um, I mean, best creative buds because. Oh Yeah. Like when I got called, when I got the job for White Lotus, I found out from Jared Hess. He texted me, said, Mike White just called me and said he hired Uncle Rico to be in White Lotus. (laughs) 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 He told me before my agents called, which was really amazing. But I knew the script was amazing. You just never know if it's going to turn into what it turned into. I could never have known that, you know, uh, that, that Fox Searchlight would really really push that movie and make that movie into the iconic film it's become.
0: Yeah, it really is. Really is. Well, so it all came full circle. In some way, Uncle Rico wound up part
2: of uh, part of White Lotus because of that creative connection. <laughs> the Mike White stable, although I'd never met Mike White before, you know. And in fact, when I read for season one, I had COVID. I was sick with COVID, you know. Mm. I read in the backyard. There was a guy like 40 feet away from me reading with me. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Speak up well, if you're gonna be all the way over there. <laughs> well, listen, I you're you're great to do this,
0: and the show is fantastic. Uh and and we only know episode one. I don't want to know anything else. I don't want to know any spoilers. I want to experience it just like I experienced. Let's remember one.
2: the three words. Oh my God.
0: We are ready. <laughs> We're we are ready. ready. Yeah. Hey, Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, John. We really appreciate it, man. So great to be with you guys. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. There you have it. White Lotus, such a great show. And now I'm really intrigued because he says episode seven and eight, nobody from the press has seen it and it's going to be really twisted and a big OMG.
1: I knew from just watching, um, the, like the first episode, then they do it. Seeing the trailer. Yes. The, of the Season. Yep. <sighs> You just know. Oh yeah. It is it is so dark and devious. Oh my god. What yeah. a great This I mean, I I like the first season too, but I have a feeling I'm going to like this season much better. I yeah, think it's too. it's much darker. And um I I, I these characters are going to
0: really take us for a ride so uh cool to have john grimes on the show he's great on uh white lotus check it out sunday nights on hbo if you haven't already season one is already out there and season two is just underway soon thank you very much great show today uh we will see everybody next oh i should mention don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify or at stevemason.com and don't forget leave us a rating and a review and we will see everybody next time on the culture pop podcast